Welcome to the Ephesiology Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the study of the early Christian movement and its implications for the church today. Here with our resident ephesiologist, uh, Michael, uh, myself, Andrew Johnson, an associate pastor at Neartown Church in Houston. And today we are joined by an incredible guest, Peyton Jones. Now, Peyton Jones uh, is uh, the founder of New Breed Church Planting. He is the author of Church Zero. And get ready to be wowed by this list. He is a church planter, a speaker, a university lecturer an outreach consultant helping church planters create first-century-style churches. He is the host of a weekly church planting podcast, and we just learned that he has a very long list of, of medical positions that he has also served in, and so we are wowed to be joined by you, Peyton. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me on. It's my pleasure. I'm, I'm oh. a fan of ephesiology. Well, and and I would say that's a that's a mutual admiration society thing right now. Uh, we love what you are doing, but I just read a whole bunch of things that could be read or learned on a bio sheet. So let's put some skin on you, uh, Peyton. Tell us something more that someone is not going to read on the back of a cover, but they need to know to know about you. Wow. I well, I don't I don't know if they need to know me at all. I don't know if I have too many. I think I'm still finding out who I am myself. So, um I'm bald. I'm uh I'm uh I'm I'm incredibly ugly. I do interestingly, wow. I do have a scar over my left eye that was from a rugby player in Wales when I was a missionary there for 12 years. I got that about 6 weeks in. I was the evangelist at Lloyd Jones's uh, Sandfields Church, and um, had a rugby player put me down in the street, beat my head into the asphalt, and knock me unconscious. Oh, so this uh, wasn't oh. playing rugby? No, I wasn't <laughs> street rugby. Perhaps um, maybe that's what he thought. I, I think he might have thought I was the rugby ball, but uh, no, he actually, uh, in a case of road rage, um, oh. decided oh. to. Uh, take me out of this world. He was only stopped by a woman. It's on a Sunday morning. I, I wasn't doing anything. Um, I was parking my car, but uh, he was on steroids. He was a prop forward, which is another way of saying alignment. So I don't know that your audience needed to know that, but it's interesting. <laughs> oh, this is such a wonderful <laughs> story. Maybe you, were maybe you were driving on the wrong, wrong side of the road there, just having uh, transplanted to uh, the UK. I think uh, we were going too slow as we're uh, pulling over to find a, a parking spot. I was being welcomed as the evangelist that Sunday, so it was pretty funny. It hit the oh, newspapers. No. It was actually quite scandalous, so I became uh, infamous right away there uh, as a missionary. So <laughs> Paul usually caused some kind of scandal or, or you know, big upset when he went into a town. So I guess I was just following suit. I would say so how the, biblical the, of you. Yeah, the, the riot in Wales. <laughs> There's always a riot in Wales. <laughs> That's so great. Okay, so Peyton, um, we are really honored to have you on. Uh, but as I joked before we got on to record, um, Michael and I are not looking at each other saying, who do we have on? Let's just go start knocking on doors and see who likes church planting or biblical things and have them on. Uh, so Michael, help us understand why, 
why is Peyton our guest? How did you meet him? And uh, what are we in store for today? Well, I'm excited, Peyton, that you're joining us because I, I love so much who you are and what you've been doing and how you've been doing what you've been doing and what you've been writing about. Um, I, I became aware, you know, it's funny. It's not like I'm aware of everybody. And then all of a sudden Peyton jumps on this, on the, the, uh, radar and I become aware of a new person. Peyton has been around for forever. And I think for me, at least I became aware of Peyton and his work as I was preparing to teach a church planting course in Korea. I had sent off to Zondervan uh, to, to get a desk copy of his latest book, Church Plantology, The Art and Science of Planting Churches. Uh, just the title alone fascinated me. And as I began looking through it, I, I discovered that, boy, there's a mutual love for the Church of Ephesus uh, that we share. And then, lo and behold, I'm on a church planting webinar just simply as a, a listener, because I'll do that every once in a while, trying to understand what's going on in the church planting world. And Peyton was going to be the one of the guests on that webinar. And I thought, great, I'll, I'll get to hear more about what Peyton thinks and and uh, for whatever reason, I guess Peyton, you were still in bed when the webinar started because you're you're on the West Coast and they were on the East Coast and there was a, a time change or there something. There was a time mix up. Time, a time it was, mix up. It was my fault. Yeah, but uh, it was so interesting because when you came on, there was such a difference in the conversation because what what I was hearing initially is really what you describe in your book as church starting. And then you come on and you talk about church planting. And I immediately thought, gosh, this is a guy that I need to connect with. I knew that you knew Alan Hirsch. So I, I'm texting Alan while this webinar is going on saying, Alan, you've got to introduce me to Peyton. And so he, he introduces us and we connect and have a great conversation about church planting. So I'm so excited you're on and uh, it happened that you're going to be talking about your book. And maybe the starting place really is to talk about this difference that you see in church starting and church planting. Tell us mm. a, a little bit about that. Yeah, that was a, I, I remember your question that day, and um, I could remember it standing out thinking, this guy knows. And, you know, I, I think part of what had happened because of the delay. Uh, of me getting on, getting the time wrong. They had texted me, hey, are you coming on? They had been spinning, like kind of, you know, stalling until I got on. And they were talking the same topics. But when I came on, uh, I believe it was your question, what do you think of C. Peter Wagner's statement, uh, church planning is the most effective uh, form of um, evangelism under heaven? Um, and And that's like the sacred cow, and I tipped it. Because I, I assume everybody's a fan of that statement. And <laughs> How dare you? Is, How dare you? Yes, the most if effective means of evangelism. And that's how he puts it under heaven. The church planning is that. And I said, I actually disagree with that statement. Um, I actually believe that church planting is not the cause that evangelism happens through it. I think it's the other way around. I think that church planting is an effect in discipleship. And um, milling with people, getting to know them, um, whatever evangelizing the gospel looks like through your words, through your life, through your practice, um, through your gatherings, whatever it is, um, that is 
the cause. That is planting. That is sowing the seeds of the gospel, the watering of discipleship, and and saved or unsaved. I never. I disciple people from the moment I meet them, uh, and then you know the to me the plant where Paul says you know uh, the Holy Spirit, God alone causes the increase, the growth, the what people would, would talk about as the church plan itself is the effect. If I do those things that Jesus said, you know, go, um, you know, make disciples, uh, teaching them to obey, baptizing in the name of the Father, those things are what I'm commanded to do. And the church itself grows because Jesus says, I will plant my church. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like we've had this um, back to front, backwards, uh, cart before the horse kind of deal going on that I call church starting. Let's get a sexy uh, church church logo, a flashy church name. Let's get a, a a hip little gathering spot and let's put our shingle out in front of it and let's do a bunch of marketing instead of actually milling and getting around people. Let's let's substitute what Paul did with, with what what we can do with the rise of technology. And I'm not against any of those things. Don't get me wrong but they've been substitutes for the substance of what mm-hmm. really is the work of the gospel. And so for me, I've, I've always found church planning not so hard. Like I don't need to join a course that tells me how to uh, gather a big crowd. I, I never see that that's what the apostles were trying to do. Crowds came as a result of something else. And uh, and so for for me, the the opening chapter... Uh, starts off contrasting church starting versus church planting. So as a question, as somebody, so I I stand on the opposite side of the divide, uh, Michael being somebody who has already read your book, me being like maybe most of our listeners who have not yet seen the brilliant of it, brilliance of it, because I haven't read it yet. Um, What do you, what is the, what is the gracious way you interact with people who are absolutely convinced that the church marketing model with the build, you know, if you build it, they will come, um, which is kind of a microwaved model coming out of the eighties and nineties, uh, church growth movement. Um, how do you interact with them? That's a bit longer than you're doing it wrong. To me, the key of uh, any any aspect of the church goes back to Ephesians uh, 4 with the A-Best. I really love that whole idea that, um, and, and I borrow this from Alan. I mean, Alan is, you know, uh, the church plantology is so funny because people from the A-Best uh, persuasion or people from the missional movement have said, man, this is our book. Like, this is our church planning book, finally. For our tribe, we didn't have one that used our framework before. Um, I always tell people, I am the stupid man, Alan Hirsch. Alan Hirsch is the Einstein of Apest, right? I'm, I'm like the, maybe the uh, for people that that um, have only ever read Sports Illustrated, maybe, maybe they'll enjoy some of my writing. But uh, for Alan, he is really the 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 Apest Einstein. I mean, he even reminds me of Einstein when I look at him. But he is such a genius on this stuff. I mean, if you haven't read Five Q, go out and buy that right now. It's an amazing book. Mm-hmm. Um, but but Alan really um, helped me to understand. Um, the whole idea that the that the the ministry of Jesus, those five functions of Apest, 
um, are the five functions of the church today. And so when Paul says, you know, through Christ's whole, uh, as he's ascended now, he kicks down these five functions uh, of his own ministry to the church to fulfill this ministry. Um, he says that he might fill all things through the church. Now that's powerful. Mm -hmm. That means that those aspects, those gifts are the way that Christ's ministry is going to be felt, whether it's apostolically, mission-wise, prophetically, the presence of God, evangelistically, the welcome of the gospel, uh, shepherding-wise, um, gathering up the, the lost, helpless, and harassed sheep, and then teaching, right? The, the, the sound, the, the resounding uh, uh, bullet of truth that just cuts through all the noise. Those things are, you know, literally to me, um, the key and not any one person can do this. So church is a team sport from day one, mm -hmm. reaching the world is a team sport, but the gifts are centralized. So when you ask what's a positive spin on this, right? Um, how can you say this nicely? I would say the largest looming problem that the church has today is the absence of gift activation. Mm -hmm. To me, once you see people mobilized in their gifts, it's game over. Right. It's it's OK. We're there now when people are released in their gifting, their Holy Spirit, divinely deposited gifts that that God has said, this is your uh, Jesus shaped hole to fill in the world. When a church is mobilized in that, and of course, you're talking to an apostolic guy. So this is how I this is what I eat, breathe, sleep and dream. This is even one fifth of what Christ is trying to do in the world. But you're hearing an apostolic guy talk about it. So I'll get really excited about this one aspect. Um, that to me is uh, the thing that we need to have. I don't care if we have marketing on top of that. I mean, I hosted the Church Planner podcast for nine years with a co-host who was, guess what, for a living. He was a marketer. Hmm. Um, so I'm not anti-marketing. I'm anti-substituting all the other stuff for marketing. Good. Yeah, Peyton, that, I mean, a question arises in my mind. Where does... I mean, in church planting, that that has to happen, but sometimes it doesn't happen. Sometimes we don't see those that apest gifting activated, even in genuine church planting that is starting from zero through evangelism, disciple making, and so on. How do we get there? How do we get there in our church planting? And what is it that's going on in our church starting that is trying to shortcut or or disconnect that apest typology. Yeah, I, I I think you know you mentioned Andrew about the the inheriting of the models, um, and I th I think we got to be careful not to. Uh, it, it's very in vogue, isn't it? Um, there's there's things that the church becomes very vogue, like we know the the rise of the Mars Hill podcast. 10 years ago, it was very in vogue to talk about how wonderful Mark Driscoll was. Right now, it's very in vogue to talk about how evil he is and how he's the devil. So the church is as fickle as the, as the rest of humanity. And we go back and forth um, all the time on trends and fads. And, and here's the thing is even on that podcast, it brings out, you know, Mark Driscoll did some things for church planning. I actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go against the grain here. I'm not a, a Mark Driscoll fanboy. Um, I've never been a part of A29. There were some things that he did that the podcast points out that were very good to raise awareness of church planning. Mm -hmm. In that sense, I'm grateful. But 
the church growth movement, where I'm going with that, has nothing. <laughs> actually, has nothing to do with Mark Driscoll. I, 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 I did. Alas, I distract myself. Um, but, but what I'm saying is, we have to be aware that fads. Right now, everybody is very anti-church growth movement, and because it's trendy to be anti-growth movement. Um, for me, I, I always think, well, let's stop and think about this for a minute. Let's let's actually think. Let's not just hop on the bandwagon. Um, the church growth movement, if if you ask me on the apex scale of things, is that was the evangelist time, really. Mm -hmm. um, I believe that the marketing and all that stuff was a part of the evangelist, but it was the evangelist left to themselves. If you talk to to mm -hmm. an evangelist on the apex scale, um, you, you you see that, you know, to them, it's always more. Get more people, more people. They're wired to do that. But what we did in the 80s was we, we, we kind of sat back and watched evangelists like, um, you know, I, I could go with the list of, of players. I actually think that Mark Driscoll was an evangelist. Um, and, and evangelists are very, very difficult to deal with on their own. I actually use in the book an, an apex scale of what I call um, synergy and blind spots, where I talk about the balances mm. between them. The prophet and the teacher balance each other out. The apostle and the shepherd balance each other out, right? They will keep each other balanced. They're each other's counterweight. But in the middle of that equation is the evangelist. Well, who keeps the evangelist from going off the rails? The other four. <laughs> All four need to have tent stakes on the evangelist. And so the church growth movement had a lot that was very good about it as a, a movement of evangelists. But it's kind of like that late night um, advertisement on, on late night TV in the 80s. Evangelists gone wild. You know, you don't want to watch that video. You know, that's a that's a bad place to be. So for me, you know, and, and the same with all the roles, right? If, if you have a prophetic leader gone wild, they end up creating three ring circuses. If you have me, the apostolic gone wild without the shepherd balancing me out, I turn everything around me into a mission station. Mm. And it's always about mobilizing people and never about caring for them. If the shepherd gets there, it becomes a people pleasing thing and people's needs become, you know, their felt needs become the all consuming thing. Um, same with teacher, right? If the teacher goes wild, you, you call the church a campus and everybody becomes students and mm. it all becomes a head knowledge. So we've seen all these things over time. Um, I know your, your your question was a little more, um, how do we get there? Um, I would say we look at the model we've inherited through the APES lens and we say, okay, uh, which one am I? Am mm -hmm. I a prophetic movement of the Pentecostal charismatic, uh, uh, you know, movement over here? What are my weaknesses? Wh where do I need the balance of the APES, right? Everything comes back, uh, team leadership that... The second you try to do plant a church as a solo leader with a Moses model, you're automatically going to bring yourself into one of those five camps hmm. um, because you're inheriting a system that you're trying to model that's a solo. It's just a teacher model or word-based model, or it's a charismatic Pentecostal model church, or it's the Billy Graham Stadium Crusade or Harvest Crusade or whatever the, the recent one is, you're, you're going to inherit the model based on your APES role. Whereas if you come back to say, wait, these all five of these weren't meant to be separated. We were meant to be this dream team together. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'd love that, Peyton. And I mean, I 100% agree. And it's, you know, it's interesting because this is not just an issue that we're addressing in the North American context or in Western Europe, but it's really a global issue. And places where we've seen this tremendous growth, like, I mean, really in the 70s, 80s, we were seeing the church grow rather significantly in the context of the of North America because of the evangelistic efforts. Um, and we're seeing that similar type of growth, perhaps even more rapidly uh, around the world, particularly in South Asia, Southeast Asia, where the where uh, the, there's a real emphasis on the apostolic and the evangelistic efforts of missionaries and church planters and pastors and so on. And, and at the same time, what we're seeing is this imbalance that we're experiencing in our context, uh, where in that context, in the, in the, uh, in the, the global church, there's real movement, but without the shepherding and the teaching. And so it becomes quick spreading, but very thin. And in our context, we've we've uh, we have this opposite problem that in some ways, and in some will probably challenge us, I would suspect. But in some ways, we've emphasized the caring uh, to such an extent where um, it, we're experiencing what Christian myth, uh, Christian Smith called a moralistic therapeutic deism uh, that this care of the person and uh, their needs um, and uh, well, and the focus on that at the expense of the propagating of the gospel, the reaching out and multiplying and and so forth. I don't know. am I am I looking at this, do you think, through a proper lens? Well, I was going to, before Peyton answers, uh, Michael, I was just going to double on what you just said and ask uh, our listeners uh, if you at all felt any inclination to disagree with Michael. Uh, has your pastor referred to your church or you as a church leader, have you referred to your church as a hospital? Because if at any point you have referred to the function of what you guys do as a hospital, then that might lean towards the primary role of the church is to bring people in just to care for them and just to help fix them. Um, so anyway, Peyton, Michael asked a good question and I jumped off the top rope just cause I was too excited. I think both of, of what each of you said is, 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 is on the mark because um, the church is a hospital, but is it a barracks too? Yeah. <laughs> You know, when you look at the APES, it gets to be all of it. Is the church a classroom? Heck yeah. But it shouldn't just be a classroom. Um, it's it's all five of these because the APES are the ways that Christ glorifies and manifests himself to the world and also to the church. I, I would add that the APES, one of the things I bring up in plantology is that each of these has an inward and outward folk, uh, facing focus. So um, like the evangelist uh, and the shepherd, it's, it's interesting because uh, I've known shepherds who are probably even more evangelistic than evangelists and more effective because uh, like one of the things about the, the shepherd, we always think the shepherd's inward facing and, and they are primarily um, the shepherds and teachers are primarily inward facing and the 
apostolic, prophetic, and evangelistic are primarily outward facing, but each of them has like a, a sub uh, uh, role. So uh, whereas the apostolic is a frontiersman or frontierswoman, um, they are definitely uh, bridging frontiers. You're going to find in the metaverse right now in digital space, that's mm. going to be apostolics gone wild because we are basically like apostolics are seeing that as that is the next frontier. Mm. Let me out there. But it's it's got weaknesses. Remember, the counterbalance is, is the shepherd for the apostolic. Uh, the shepherds need to come and say, whoa, 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 whoa. What about this face-to-face incarnational thing? Remember that? Because I, I believe that the missional movement was actually a shepherding movement. It, it wasn't an apostolic. It wasn't an evangelistic movement. The missional movement was the church going, hey, uh, we actually need to do stuff together. And we need to be on mission together. And we need to get involved in each other's life. Life on life, doing life together, man, all that stuff that sounded very hippie. Those were the shepherds talking during the missional movement. The missional movement was a shepherding movement. Mm. Um, but it, it was all about discipleship. That's shepherd all the way. So, you know, that that's their, their speciality, you know. I, I think back to uh, Revenge of the Sith. Uh, Sith <laughs> lords are our speciality. Uh, but, you know, Ewan McGregor. But uh, really, the the inward and outward facing, I, I was just mentioning about uh, shepherds, how they, they have this outward facing thing, too. You will often find shepherds in recovery ministries in the church, you know, um, celebrate recovery. Hey, hey, that's where that's the outward function. They're 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 deep involved in the lives and the problems and the addictions and the struggles of people. And yet they're very outward facing. I've seen shepherds. I mean, I planted um, in inner city Long Beach, like like. And when I say inner city, I mean urban, urban inner city Long Beach, um, like in the downtown district. And I've I've seen people literally go and search at night. Shepherds searching for people at night and dragging them from under parked cars to save them mm. from ODing or rescuing people getting ready to jump off of a light post. These are shepherds. Like the shepherds I've seen are incredibly outward facing at times, but each of these roles has that inward and outward um, facing thing. So I think that we have to celebrate um, not only the uh, things that each of these roles brings, but recognize the weaknesses of when it's just one or the other. Yeah. They're they're often in competition with one another, aren't they, Peyton? How, how do we bridge that? How do we de-escalate, if you will, the competition that is often yes. felt between the apostle, the shepherd, the prophet, the teacher, and, and so on? So you guys haven't really got to know me on this podcast yet, but I like to laugh at myself a lot. I, I mentioned you guys before. I was a firefighter, uh, RN, psych nurse, uh, paramedic uh, in, in a past life. And so you learn to laugh at almost everything because it's a survival skill. I have learned to laugh at my darkness, learn to laugh at my weaknesses. And I see the apex as kind of like, I know this is a talk about apex, right? Instead of, but plantology, <laughs> plantology is all wired in there. Even when we talk about vision and burden, I'm like, you shouldn't have one vision for your church. That's, that's, uh, that's hogwash, man. You need five because you got these five functions of Jesus. You ought to have a vision that's mm -hmm. apostolic, prophetic. So anyways, but going back, um, 
really, to be honest, I'm, I'm getting excited now. You're getting me excited. This is the problem. <laughs> but I have learned that the apex is less about a boast of strengths. I'm apostolic. Well, I'm evangelistic. And these are my strengths. I, I feel that if you really see these in context, it's a confession of weakness. Um, when I say I'm apostolic, what I'm saying is I, I have one-fifth of this equation that I see but I'm equally confessing there are four-fifths of what Jesus is trying to do and say here that I don't get, mm. right? Um, and and so for us to work together, I think we have to laugh at ourselves. We have to not take ourselves so seriously. There are many cases where um, I've been able to uh, consult with churches and teams that are either moving towards team leadership or they're, um, they're really having troubles. And once they begin to understand like even on a team of elders, like we're one of them, you can just identify you're the shepherd. Once somebody realizes what they are, why they're mad at the, 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 you know, the, what they would call the pastor, you know, he teaches, he studies. Well, cause he's a teacher. He's doing what he's wired to do. You're all about discipleship. Why don't you take the lead on that as an elder? And once they begin to realize, okay, this one guy is not supposed to be doing everything. Okay. Wait, so we're supposed to, and then once they also realize that the voice of God is not going to be heard through any one of them, but actually the voice of God is like the, the, the roaring of many waters. It's the combination of all five of those voices. That's where you're going to yeah. hear the voice of Jesus, because not any one of those sounds like Jesus on its own. Yeah, you know, I love that, Peyton, because you're you're describing okay. this kind of, I mean, there's certainly leadership here, right? Apest are leadership gifts. Christ is given to equip the church for works of ministry. But you're talking about a, a leadership line, if you will, that is somewhat flat. It's not one who is above yes. all the others, right. but it's those working together. Talk about that. How do you there? In a yeah. system like what we've created, in an ecclesiological system like what we've created, where there's been so much attention on that lead pastor shepherd uh, figure. Yeah, I would argue that the the elders are actually um, the reason you have a plurality of leadership is explained by APEST um, that, that you need to. Um, in the book, I bring out strike teams that mm. Paul always planted in teams. Um, that strike teams is, is the team that you send out that goes. And that's your leadership team from day one. But what Paul would do in a strike team is he would get to a place and then he would raise up another team, the team that stays. Now, sometimes it was interchangeable. And I call that a fist team because um, APEST is on both of these teams. So I don't call either one an APEST, but a fist team, I use fist as, you know, your um, five fingers, Right. They're going to stay. And I use the fist as a, a metaphor for, you know, like the, the index fingers, the prophetic leader pointing to what is God saying in all this? You know, he always wants to hear the voice of God. The middle fingers, the evangelist brings a gospel of offense. Plus, I, 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 I always I always pick on the evangelist. So uh, so it's funny to use that. The ring fingers, the shepherd, touchy feely relationships that's your relationship finger. And then the pinky is that etiquette, the teacher, you know, let's let's be accurate on this. So he's got the etiquette drinking tea. I lived in Britain. You know, the proper way to drink a cup of tea 
You know, he's always about uh, theological exactness. And uh, and then lastly, you got the thumb, which brings them all together for a deeper gospel impact. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the uh, that would be your strike team and your fist team. So the fist team is the one who stays. Well, in a, on a very practical level, from day one, you're letting people know I'm not. Like when I plant, I tend to take the lead as an apostolic uh, planting is is where my gifts wax. But over time, my gifts begin to wane. So I let people know that up front. Right now, we're doing all the scary stuff, the stuff that <laughs> uh, my whole role here, uh, outward facing, is to create the the kingdom culture. It's unconscious. I don't know how it happens, but there's a sense that Jesus brought around him, which was this welcoming atmosphere that the kingdom has, that everybody's welcome. It's what you bring. It's one culture entering into another as you cross the frontier. But then my inward facing aspect of that is mobilizing everyone in their gifts so I can leave, right? Very much like Paul, like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm supposed to get the heck out of Dodge. Unless like Ephesians, right? Ephesiology, if I'm staying for any length of time is to create a hub that perpetuates multiplication without me. And so if I stay longer in a place, cause I'm a, I'm a serial planner, right? Um, that's what I do. But on a practical level, once you establish a team from day one, um, what I do is I tell them uh, on the leadership team, there's no voting on this team, right? Voting to me on an eldership team is anathema. I think mm. it's the most ridiculous thing, really. So if if I got three, uh, and it never works out that you have all five, number one, let's just dispel that myth. Um, usually you have a weird mix, you know, maybe you have two of one and none of the other. But when when you have this, is it just going to be numbers like, you know, it's like the Senate. If I got more Democrats, yeah. it goes that way. If I got more Republicans, it goes that way. What we do is we say, okay, we're all speaking. We're seeing things are slightly different. Let's keep talking and praying together so we hear the voice of Jesus. So Mm -hmm. we have to be a little more patient, but I will tell you what, it works every single time. There's usually a prophetic, it feels prophetic when when the answer comes. It's a combination of all of them, and it's amazeballs. So that, that, that's very practically an answer to your question. That's how it works. And when people begin to experience that, it's a game changer. Okay, so Mm -hmm. then my question is, how does it work for people uh we'll talk about elder board or guiding committee or whatever fun name your church uses um or people who are on a staff i was just talking to a friend who is describing to me their current staff situation how does this exist so it doesn't come off like antagonism right like i i hear everything that you're saying and it as somebody who is a self-proclaimed idealist, it's the best, right? Everything that you're just saying is the exact ideal that we see in scripture. And you have just given it life to talk about it as it might look today in our churches and our church context. And it sounds wonderful, but the reality I feel of churches, some churches would come to this idea of how it looks in their church. And it looks very different from what we were talking about back in Ephesians. And so the elder board then isn't, we're all in this together. The elder board sometimes might come across as we're telling you, you can't do the thing that you're telling us you want to do leader. And we're here to keep you in check and tell you where you're wrong. Mm 
How does that look when a staff says, hey, lead pastor, uh, you've been here for 30 years and we're here to tell you your time's up, right? Like you've got to, you've got to cede control and let us in. Like, how does, how do we go about this where it is gracious and godly and not antagonistic? Well, um, the scenario that, that, that you've raised, I think is possibly doomed. Um, I, I, I people don't give up power very easily. Mm. Um, I, I feel that it has to be one of those, you know, flesh and blood does not reveal these things. That leader would have to be the one to see it. Um, and and there's a lot of great leaders who I, I know have seen it and do see it, even where they've been in a pastoral Moses type model for years and they, they experience, um, they experience some of this without knowing what to call it. Uh, you know, they experienced the the different giftings on their team. I remember back years ago, the reform camps were talking about there's different types of leaders. There's prophet, priest, and king using an Old Testament model. And people be like, oh, okay, I get that. Yeah, that's true. And 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 I remember feeling at that time, like, no, not really. I get what you're saying, but you're talking more like people that are executive leaders versus but the New Testament talks about the apex. I'm not saying you can't have that dynamic, but you why not adopt the New Testament model of leadership and ditch that Old Testament model of you know leadership and authority in the nation? Um, let's go to the New Testament, which replaces authority roles with servant roles, because that that's mm-hmm. what leadership is in the New Testament. It's just service. It's not authority. Um, I. You know, it's funny, like I went into church planting um, full bore on accident and it was after a very bad church situation where the church I was in, in Wales, and I've since buried the hatchet with this leadership team. So this is not disparaging them in any way. I love these people to death, but they tried to get rid of me. Um, and it it was the church was growing, but it was over the Welsh language. So when you go back to Jerusalem and you see that the the division arose between the Hellenists and the and the Jews, mm. uh, we had a similar thing over the Welsh language. The Welsh speakers were coming to this Americans English speaking service instead of the Welsh service that we had. We had a, a bilingual translation service, and the Welsh could not. And and here I am, this ignorant American, not realize like I, it wasn't me. I wasn't doing. It. I was just. I was apostolic and I was reaching the community. I was a firefighter in that town and uh, people were were coming to faith and um, people were like, no joke, people were having visions. Mm-hmm. Like this Buddhist lady had a vision of Jesus on the cross. It was like, she might as well rolled up as an Ethiopian in a chariot and said, hey, I was reading Isaiah 53. Like miraculous stuff was happening and people were coming to faith. And this is Wales now. It wasn't huge. Like the church grew up to about a hundred and maybe 10, you know, something like that. And um, that's huge in Wales, by the way. Um, and and so, uh, you know, but but when I got there, the church was maybe 40 people. What the Welsh saw was we are losing our church. Yeah, their cultural identity. It's, it was more about that. Mm-hmm. And so there was these cultural factors. Well, I resigned, um, brokenhearted, said, God, I love you. Uh, but I can't stand your people. 
I was, I just spiraled down. I went to work at Starbucks. I was finishing up my MA in theology and uh, decided, you know, I, I think just I'll go make coffee for, you know, and that's it. Ended up planting on accident um, over Dan Brown Da Vinci Code, a, a coffee shop, um, you know, uh, a coffee shop church, I guess. I didn't mean to. Um but it, it started with 30 non-believers talking about that book, hmm. developed into 40, then 50 the third week. And pretty soon it was like, and I told God, I, I don't want to, I want to be in ministry anymore. And, and that was the key for me. I no longer wanted anything. I didn't want to be a pastor. I didn't want my sermons to be online. I didn't want any of it. And I ended up doing, uh, I would say, real ministry and true ministry hmm. um, after I ditched. Uh, the, the, the structure. I love the church. I actually love people. You'll be kind of blown away by this. I am more liturgical than anyone here knows. I would love an Episcopal sung liturgy. And I would do that every Sunday for the rest of my life. That's not the church I plant. But if you talk to me, I don't care what the body of Christ looks. I don't care what dress she's wearing. I think she's beautiful in all shapes and sizes, big, small, in a box with a fox on a train. There's my train in the rain. Sam, I am. Like, I love the body of Christ. So when when I talk church planning, to me, it's universal. These are principles that it doesn't matter to me, the structure. But I do think if we don't get that APEST DNA right, we're, we're facing a lot of the problems and troubles that we have now because we're not filling the world the way Christ intends us to. Are you going to title yeah, your so next book, uh, I Traded in the Bible for Da Vinci Code? Do you think that will be the <laughs> the real attention grabber that you're hoping for? Well, funny enough, um, no, but funny enough, what am I? Um, so on newbreedtraining.com, we actually drop a course every month. Um, and one of them is a three-part course called How to Make a Fist. And a lot of the questions that you've been asking, Michael, will be answered um, and that which is a very practical because Church Zero was a, an apologetic for this. Um, church plantology was more of like, a, hey, how do you plant using mm -hmm. the team leadership model and how did Paul utilize it? And what happened in Ephesians? Why did he stay put? And why was there this factory of, you know, apostolic church planters coming out of that place? Um, but, you know, the, the, the bottom line is that um, what I have probably closer in this book have described, but not all the way is how. And a lot of the practical how-to questions, which I've appreciated, Michael. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love this book, Peyton. I'm glad that you wrote it. Uh, glad that it's available. I am sorry that I didn't get the copy before I taught the church planting class, but um, our movemental ecclesiology class at master classes uh, at Ephesiology master classes does use this as a text. So um, we're grateful that we can we can uh, have such a practical uh, text on church planting. So we're, we're grateful for you, Peyton, for you writing this. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me on. I, like I said, I'm a huge fan of ephesiology. I literally wish I had read your book before I wrote plantology because it would have so enriched, enriched the final chapter, which was in game creating mm -hmm. um, multiplication hubs um, in ephesiology. I just, I read that book and I'm like, this is my long lost soul brother right here. How, how <laughs> we, how we never met, but I had encountered people that were like, have you read Ephesiology? And I'm like, no. And they're like, you need to. So uh, really, 
an honor for me to be on here today. I'm I'm a fan. Well, you're kind, and uh, I'm looking forward to what the Lord might do. In fact, as uh, since we've connected, and and uh, yeah, I'm sure there there will be opportunities for us to uh, get in trouble together. I hope. Yes, create some gospel ruckus. I look forward to there that. There we go. Oh man, a gospel ruckus. Well, I think we'll end there with um, encouraging trouble in the future. Uh, if <laughs> If you haven't already been clear, his name is Peyton Jones. He wrote the Burt Church Plantology. He is, uh, hopefully what we will say, is our resident church plantologist. So the next time we come on, he'll have a catchy title, just like Michael. Um, so go and pick up that book. Um, and then if you haven't, also just grab the Ephesiology book and just read them in tandem and, and see the, the beauty therein. Um, thank you for joining us on today's podcast. We certainly encourage you uh, to go on and interact with us as we seek to do theology in community. Uh, jump online, Facebook, on your phone, on Instagram, uh, or uh, more importantly, I think, uh, on ephesiology.com and uh, check out our master classes. But our aim is to see you, the person who has been filled with the goodness of God seeking to bring that out to your community in whatever fivefold gift that you have, uh, seeking how God wants to use you in his kingdom where you are. So thank you uh, for Matt, who is not with us today, Michael, Peyton, and myself. We will see you soon on the next Ephesiology Podcast. <laughs>